This episode of the My Latin Life podcast is brought to you by Language Blend, the new best way to learn Spanish. Language Blend focuses on what you actually need to live and get by abroad with daily one-on-one lessons, a dedicated texting partner. It's like living in a Spanish-speaking country without ever leaving home. Go to languageblend.com for more information. Welcome back to the My Latin Life podcast. Since 2014, My Latin Life has been your trusted guide to traveling and living in Latin America. My guest today is Alex Ugorji from Bootstrap City based in Honduras. If you listen to the Prospera episode with Nicholas Engzinger, um, Alex and uh, Nicholas are buddies, introduced me, and we want to hear about the other major startup city Charter City, whatever they're calling it, in Honduras, which is Bootstrap City. So looking forward to digging into this exciting new project and and really new way of thinking about, you know, cities and countries. So without further ado, Alex, how's it going, man? Great. Thank you so much for having me on. And you're in Honduras now, I believe. Yes, I'm in Bootstrap City, sometimes referred to as Ciudad Morazon. Is there a difference between Ciudad Morazan and Bootstrap City? Uh, I created the idea of Bootstrap City when trying to figure out how to capture the idea of Ciudad Morazan and explain and market it to a foreign audience. So Yeah, I think I think it actually has a better ring, Bootstrap City. You kind of get the feel that you know what I mean, things are going. I also think of that song, Rack City. <laughs> I don't know if you uh, heard that one. I have, and, I have. Uh, sometimes when I'm in the shower, I'm bootstrap city, bootstrap city. <laughs> but it's, I wanted to capture the fun energy and vibe that we have going on here, as well as that we're bootstrapping it. We're building a city from the ground up. Uh, it's something that hasn't really been done in this way ever before. And it's a very scrappy approach. Like the developers, the people, everyone in it, we're all scrappy. This is not some Bitcoin citadel city for millionaires. The target audience for the city is actually working class Hondurans making minimum wage. So really? only a few hundred dollars a month. Interesting. Interesting. So, and that was part of why it, it lacked the uh, marketing and branding. Because unlike its sister city, Prospera, it's not trying to raise money and get foreigners to live there. Its target market lives down the street already. It's just getting them to move 100 meters in one direction or 10 kilometers in an- another direction. So the, the idea of Ciudad Morazan, which... I think it's a, a great idea. I have almost no critiques or criticisms of the city. I think the developers of it, primarily uh, Massimo Mazzone, he's the main guy behind it, his group. Uh, they thought about it very well and designed a, a very good business model that's about making money right away. Mm. Traditionally, in these type of projects, you'll raise money from venture capital firms. And you're not trying to make money today. Uh, some venture capital firms, it seems like they're not trying to make money ever. 
It's just about hype, 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 get a bigger valuation, and then sell it to SoftBank. I think uh, WeWork is the most iconic example of this, where the founder made, I think, almost $2 billion, and the company hasn't made money and is like almost gone bankrupt. So this is the different model of Morazon, which is about cash flow. It's run by an industrialist group in Central America, and they wanted to create the city with this approach of, we want to bring in revenue as soon as possible. We want everything to be thought of from a profit metric because profits are what inform us if we're doing a good job. So it's a bootstrap business approach where let's keep the costs lean, let's get revenue coming in, and let's grow from that perspective as opposed to just spending millions of dollars a year without any revenue or much to speak of. So I don't, that was a yeah, quite I like, a I like that. Topic. No, I like that philosophy. Uh, this is a random tangent, but I was listening to um, kind of a bootleg copy of one of Andrew Tate's courses, like the Hustlers University course. And he, <laughs> like, just like yesterday, today, so it's on my mind. And he's just like yelling about how money has to come in first. Don't spend any money to start a business. Money needs to come in first. And he's just like, where's the money? There's no business. There's no money coming in. So I, I uh, definitely uh, agree with this idea. And I think this is a big split in uh, like business right now in 2023. A modern business, what should it be? Are you spending investors' money? You're spending your own? You're getting cash flow or you're just growing based on valuation? And I think it's also the big difference between Morazon Zeddy and Prospera Zeddy. You'll notice this split motivates many of their decisions from even the the lawsuit, which I'm sure we'll get into later. The, that well, we'll also, get into it. We'll get into yeah. it. Uh, do me a quick favor. Uh, close WhatsApp on your computer because I can hear That's the beeps. Okay, Sorry cool. about that. No worries. And so um, just to help conjure up the image of uh, Bootstrap City, um, is it? it's on the mainland of Honduras, right? It's not on the islands? Yes. So the, and you know, we have a fun rivalry in Prospera and Morazon. I mean, it's, it's almost entirely my doing. I like to create a little, little drama, get people excited and proud of their cities and defending them. But Prospera likes to make it seem as if they have the best location. They're on some tropical paradise or something. But I would argue that Morazon has the best location. It is a little over 30 minutes outside the commercial capital of Honduras, San Pedro Sula, the New York equivalent, so to speak, and about 40 minutes from the main port of Honduras, Port Cortez. So you have this new city, basically a suburb of the main commercial center, and 40 minutes from the main port of the country. Mm. So could you have a better location for doing business? Because it's not right next to the ocean, you don't have the inflated price pushing up land and making the development very expensive. So mm. the prices can stay low and your business can keep more money and be more profitable. But you can still get to the beach quickly. You can get to the airport quickly. And I think that's what matters today in the highly globalized, connected world. Can your goods come in? Can people move in and out? And I think that gives us a big advantage in terms of location over the other yeah, settings. 
you know, trucks can come in and all that stuff. So I, I definitely see the appeal of the mainland. I think both yeah. have pros and cons, you know. Yeah, no uh, snorkeling and scuba diving here. At least not yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, like you said, it's pretty close. Um, so San Pedro Sula. Someone listening to this might be like, what? San Pedro Sula? Wasn't that like the murder capital of the world for like a decade? How uh, How safe is that? Yes, yeah, so there's been a lot of improvement in Central America as a whole, especially in the early 2010s. Murder rates uh, fell significantly. They're, they're still very high, don't get me wrong, much higher than your average European city. But now I think we're around the area of a bad U.S. city in terms of murder rates. <laughs> uh, okay, good. Like Better than New US, Orleans. Yeah. Like U.S. cities, it's very r- regional specific. Like, don't go into the favelas because, like these, to give people an idea, there are certain neighborhoods to even enter the neighborhoods, you got to roll down your windows and keep them rolled down so that they can see who you are and what you're doing there. If you don't roll down your windows, they might pull up a motorcycle, block your car and point guns at you. Like, so those neighborhoods you shouldn't go into, although maybe we'll get into a story about that, uh, later on in the podcast of the adventure in there we were checking out and getting us back on topic so we are in Choloma and for those who are familiar with Honduras Choloma is known as one of the worst neighborhoods in Honduras now it's kind of a a misnomer because it's a city of almost half a million people so it's not really a neighborhood and they have safe areas and all that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff but there are some of the worst favelas around in this area. So the one person once said, funnily, uh, Honduras has been called a shithole country. Choloma has been called the asshole of Honduras. Ciudad Morazan is in the asshole of an asshole. And yet we have no violent crime or a crime at all, so to speak of. And so we were showing that by using free markets and private cities and good incentives, we can bring security to places that have less security generally. And one that's one of the biggest value propositions of Ciudad Morazan is you can raise your family here without worrying about anything. You can start your business here without worrying about extortion or any other issues. Like, and, and if you go to Bootstrap City's website, it says that bootstrap your business, your family, and your life. So for us from the West, we take for granted that you can just open a business and have a family and live your life relatively unmolested. Whereas in Honduras and certain cities and neighborhoods especially, like this is just a dream. So we want to bring this dream to thousands and thousands more people. And like that's what really attracted me here is this is a place that's changing lives every day and will change hopefully hundreds of thousands over the next decade or so. Hmm. Okay. So San Pedro Sula. Um, by the way, we have a city guide to San Pedro Sula on mylatinlife.com. Uh, we have a couple uh, city guides to different cities in uh, Honduras, so a little, little plug there. Um, what about, uh, and I'm, I'm look, I'm looking at my map right now. I'm seeing, uh, I'm, I'm seeing more where Morazan is and, 
uh, Choloma. There's another little town there that seems nice called El Progreso. Yeah, I think it's a not bad place, but it's very close to San Pedro Sula. So I don't see much reason to live there. And it's also further from the airport. Mm. So uh, me, myself, I kind of looked at it a little bit like, you know, how, what are the competition? Who can compete with Bootstrap City? Of course, there's no one, but El Progreso is decent on the list. I think the best small city in Honduras outside of the Zetis would be La Ceiba. I'm not sure Mm -hmm. if you have any familiarity with that. Mm -hmm. Where the ferry is to the islands. Yeah. So you can take, you can go any weekend or day you want to the islands, which are very popular, both international tourist wise and domestic tourism wise. You have most of the big store chains amenities. There's a small international airport before COVID. Uh, They had way more flights. Hopefully they'll come back over time. And also, not many people know this, but there's a Prospera campus that is going to be built a little south of La Ceiba. Oh, cool. So that, I think, is pretty exciting. The the mainland Zetis are far more interesting to me as I'm interested in business and logistics and those type of things. And island life is a challenge for those things. Hey guys, quick break from the episode to tell you about BitRefill. BitRefill allows you to shop online and in person without banks, converting your crypto directly into merchant balance. We're talking gift cards to Nike, Amazon, Apple, Airbnb, Hotels.com, and many more, all paid for with crypto. BitRefill offers more than 10,000 gift card options in 180 countries, including the USA, Canada, all across Latin America, including Brazil, Colombia, Mexico, Argentina, El Salvador, and many more. You can also apply the code MyLatinLife at checkout to get 10% back on your first purchase. Go to bitrefill.com for more information. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think the kind of the outcome of the city guide for San Pedro Sula that we wrote basically said it's actually surprisingly nice. Like it has a couple malls, has a couple bar areas. And you can have like a decently uh, Western experience while being there. Like it's not that bad or anything. It's a very livable, small city. You don't get the amenities of uh, Mexico City or Buenos Aires, Bogota, even Medellin. But in terms of just a small city that has everything you need, it's pretty good. And it's close to America, which I think is a very important for most of the digital nomad community, which I think is American, just based on the size of the US and all of the remote jobs available there. Mm-hmm. So for me, like I'm going to the US next week and I go to the US once a quarter usually. And so the proximity to the US is very convenient. The cheap flights and short flights really improves your quality of life. Mm. And uh, I noticed uh, you went to Stanford. I did. I got my master's at Stanford. Yeah, did some time in California. I'm not a, a huge fan of California at the moment, and I'm um, originally from the East Coast. So there's always the, you know, West Coast, Best Coast thing they've taunted us with. But their weather is definitely better. I'll, I'll say that. And Ugorji, your last name. What a, what ethnicity is that? 
that's Nigerian. Oh, really? Oh, cool. Yeah. So, um, uh, yes. What's your story? Tell me a bit about your story. All right. What's my story? That's uh, where to start is the question. And also, I think it's important not just to look of who you are, but where you're going. And I think that's kind of my story has been about where to go. So originally from Boston, grew up in a very progressive area. I like to tell people that when I grew up, Republican was a swear word. If you wanted to call someone an idiot, you just call them a Republican. What town? I grew up in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Okay. Okay. I think people know that one. Yeah. And uh, Elizabeth Warren is from there. She's my senator or was in a past life. So I grew up in this very uh, progressive background. Fortunately, I had the parents that were liberal and that they believed in your right to say whatever you want, even if they disagree with it, kind of liberal. So there was always an encouragement of education and knowledge and expression. And thanks to internet, I discovered a lot of interesting economic and political ideas along the libertarian bent. So I went to college, studied international politics and economics at Middlebury in Vermont. It's a mm-hmm. famous language school. And yeah, yeah. yeah, they have their own, they have like a language method, right? Where it's like, it's like a summer camp and you can't speak English for like a month. Yeah, yeah. It's six to eight weeks, depending on the program. And I did that program two summers so I could graduate in three years, getting all, stacking those credits. And so through college and ever since I learned about, there's more ideas than progressivism. I've been searching for like where to go, what to do to make a big impact. And I uh, was very interested in libertarian ideas. The New Hampshire Free State Project intrigued me. Mm -hmm. And also I looked in Europe. I studied abroad in Prague for a semester a very nice libertarian country there. And then I did an internship in China as well uh, for about a month and a half during university and was attracted to China. I also took Chinese in university as well. And so I spent some time in China after graduating and uh, in the education industry like most and exploring there. I realized that in China, education is a multi-billion dollar industry. There's billion dollar companies listed on the stock market in China related to education. And so that's what motivated me to get my master's in education is I liked the industry. I like teaching. I like uh, sharing knowledge. And I also liked business and the excitement and growth of China. It seemed that China embodied more of the American ideals than America did. I was there in 2017 time. So this was a a very lively time. They were doing the gig economy, those shared bikes and scooters and all of those things were in China years before they came to U.S. cities. And it just Mm -hmm. seemed like, how, how did they do this? They didn't have any permits or regulations. They had their own Ubers and You could do umbrella rentals, basketball, whatever. There was gig economy going, just things being built. You leave someplace, come back a week later, there's a new skyscraper coming up. So I was really excited by the energy there. And I 
went to get my master's to get more experience and knowledge uh, with mm. the plan of returning back to China. But I actually got sucked someplace else in Asia. And this was the the first place that really called to me. It's Saipan in the Northern Marian Islands. So we're a little outside mm. of Latin America right now. This mm. is the, I call it America's hidden gem. A place yep. that it's, almost, it's legally part of the United States. Yeah, it's a U.S. territory near Guam. Mm -hmm. And it's because of Guam that it kind of had to be a territory. So you can see Guam from the southernmost Mariana Island in the northern Mariana Islands. So if it were to fall in the hands of America's quote-unquote enemies, then our biggest domestic military base in Asia would be at a big geopolitical risk. So it joined in the 80s with a really good deal. It has the distinction of being the only territory that negotiated its entry into the U.S. <laughs> Saipan or Guam? Yeah, Saipan. Saipan, Saipan. cool. I like and that. Guam was a Sp Spanish-American war proceed. So they, they got what they got, and that's that. Where the people of Saipan, very, like, people like to look down on the... Uh, I don't know, the natives, quote unquote, of the world. But these guys, they played the Americans for fools. Every year, hundreds of millions of dollars are sent there in subsidies and they pay no federal tax. They're exempt from the Jones Act and many other uh, restrictions that other territories would have. They have, no, for example, no H-1B cap. So unlimited H-1Bs can go there. They have their own special visa only for the island. They have their own customs, so separate customs from the rest of the U.S. Chinese can travel visa-free there. So it's like this wild west of America that nobody had heard of. Mm -hmm. And also former Spanish colony, I guess, to connect it a little to the, the Latin aspect. And so I... Right, Spanish-American War, the Philippines War. It, it was a, not part of the Spanish-American War, but it was part of the Spanish Empire, and then it became part of Germany, and then after World War One, Japan, and then it was liberated in World War Two. One of the bloodiest battles in the Pacific theater, and was then held by the UN in trust for decades before negotiating the fire deal to join the U.S. So after visiting there, I realized this is a, a fertile ground, is what I would call it. This is a place where it's just everything's growing positive population, like people have kids there. The business climate is very open and there's a billion dollar Chinese casino that was coming in and they were just like, yeah, bring your money and we want investment, we want people to come in, we want jobs. And they didn't have the regulations and taxes and all of that that had made it to the US because this place had never really been a, a country. It's a 3000 year old like tribal civilization where everyone's just doing handshake deals. And it's all like high trust, honor society. And thus they didn't create this complex bureaucracy to regulate everything. It's the only place in the US where you can fully black out your windows because the police aren't afraid that you're gonna shoot them or do anything like that. So it's got a very different feel to it. And I started a project there called Crypto Frontier with the goal of concentrating a bunch of crypto people in a small jurisdiction where it could be an industrial cluster similar to like a Detroit for cars 
or Hollywood for movies. And by having all these people in one place, you could have an outsized impact and kind of have a crypto standard in the economy. So this was in 2020, right before COVID started. So we had some pretty cool movers come out, uh, Vin Armani, Mark Edge, and a few other people that were excited about the project. We were planning conferences, we were gonna grow it, and then boom, whole world shuts down and we're in a pretty isolated spot. All the connecting hubs that were used, normally Hong Kong, South Korea, Japan, all locked down. So it, it changed pretty quickly from uh, being this like isolated but highly connected because you have two of the top three airports in the world have links to it to having only connections through Guam and having to do like a three layover journey. It kind of killed the, the momentum a bit. And from there, I learned about the Zetis and realized that to do what I, I really wanted to do and build, uh, you probably have to leave the U.S. to get the economic freedom required. And I think places like Prospera show that with their legal tender, not just of Bitcoin, but of Ethereum and stablecoin as well. So it's like they're able to do things much more efficiently, quickly, and with much less regulation than anywhere in the U.S. ever could. So, so those Saipan... Sorry, is the uh, Crypto Frontier project in Saipan still going? Um, I'm not actively promoting the project, but there are still people who moved as part of the project that are there. They're working on uh, crypto technology still, and some pretty cool protocols and stuff have come from Saipan people but there is no longer an active movement to get crypto people to move there. I think by now, even more so, it's clear that the U.S. is not the place for crypto. Between the SEC, the taxes, and everything else, it's, the U.S. doesn't want crypto in it, and there's much better regions now to compete. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Quick break from the podcast to tell you about Language Blend, the best new way to learn Spanish. Language Blend was co-founded by Jake Nomada, friend of the podcast, decade of experience in Latin America. And Jake and his team, they put everything into this program that they wish they had in terms of how to level up quickly with your Spanish language skills. Because the faster that you can get conversationally fluent in Spanish, the better the experience that you're going to have in Latin America. So go to languageblend.com for more information. Mm. Okay. And then uh, how do we get from Saipan to Latin America? Yeah, so uh, one of the Early movers to Saipan uh, became a good friend with mine, and we worked together on a number of projects. He uh, found out about the Zetis early on. This is Mark Edge from Free Talk Live, and he's been covering it on his radio show and uh, has been working in the, the Zeti movement to try to figure out how to grow it, invest in it, promote it, etc. And he said, you got to check this out. This is like Saipan, but even better. And he invited me to visit with him one time and he sold me. And it's, it's everything that I was looking for in Saipan and then some. So I can give you an example. 
Um, I'm interested in the peer-to-peer electronic cash sphere of crypto. So how do you use crypto as money? And there's all kinds of issues doing that in the U.S. with the regulations and all of that. And then in addition to the regulations, you have the how do you get the ecosystem on board? So my thesis was basically if you want businesses to accept crypto, they need to be able to see it as usable for other expenses. And what are the biggest expenses? Well, energy is a huge expense for most businesses and rent. So in Saipan, we had even built a bill pay system to allow merchants to integrate and pay with crypto their electricity bills on the whole territory. After we built it, we discovered that there were some regulatory issues that technically this is a money service business and it would be a felony to charge any fee to do this bill pay service. And so we're like, this, we don't want to mess around. Like this is more a, a hobby project and we don't want to risk jail time and regulations and all this kind of stuff. Whereas in the context of Prosper, you have legal tender, so you can pay your taxes directly in crypto. Uh, the residence towers, Duna, that are being constructed, they take crypto. Morazon is even better. You can directly pay your utilities. And because uh, there's a single landlord in Morazon and they accept uh, certain cryptos, you can now pay your rent. Every single business in Morazon can pay their rent and utilities in crypto. And this is the, the magic of Morazon, is the accessibility, the openness to business. The, they just want to build and do cool, innovative things. So if you come in there and say, look, I have this cool idea. Here's how it can be win-win for both parties. They'll say, let's try it out. And so that was what really excited me about the Zetis is all the people there are builders. They're the neo-industrialists. They're not just, Mm -hmm. I'm a digital nomad because I can live twice as good for half the price and I can get the foreign girls and blah, blah, blah. I feel attacked. They're there because they want to change the world and build things. And I think Morazon over Prosper, it's because... It's more fertile ground to build things. When your rent is $120 a month for a 60-meter, two-bedroom apartment, you don't have expenses. You can hire that even if you're just getting started out. Suddenly, the assistant becomes more affordable. The buying extra inventory for your business, whatever expenses you have, you can just reinvest in your business because your cost of living is low. Your taxes are low. You don't need to pay a crazy amount of money. If you want a company in Morazon, it's the actual price with the registrar is about $10 to open a company. And of course, you need some things like registered agents and addresses and all of those things. But say about $10 a month, all included, you can have a company in Morazon. That's the most competitive international jurisdiction for companies in the world, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, that's very compelling. These things are what attract me where almost every other jurisdiction, you're the cow and they're milking you. Morazon is a place where you're the customer and they're serving you. 
they can charge a thousand dollars to open a company, but that's not the goal is to milk them for a company. The goal is to create a place that is very nice to live in. And thus they just have a surplus of tenants and they can pick higher and higher quality people and make it better and better and better until this weird Honduran city is competitive with cities in the first world. Mm. So it's just the philosophy is very different. Uh, and this is where like the Prospera irked me a little bit. And like as much as I like to poke at Prospera and say Morrison's better, I do have great respect and appreciation for Prospera. And I interact a lot with Prospera. I'm going to their conferences. I go to almost every Prospera conference and I'm a big advocate and cheerleader of them. But the VC incentives, I think, perverts them a little bit, where to be a resident of Prospera, you must pay, I believe it's $1,200 a year if you're a non-Honduran, mm. live inside Prospera, where in Morazan, you just pay your rent. To, be an, to open a company, you must be an, an e-resident, which also it's less, but it costs money. So it, it seems like they're just, you know, trying to collect fees, which it, they're a business. They got to make money. They're spending a, a ton of money creating thousands of pages of regulations and legal norms and all of these things. And for some businesses, this is important. There's banks in Prospera. You can't be a bank without regulations. And Morazan, you can open the bank, but you're not going to get every, any correspondence. So Prospera is certainly providing a valuable service to businesses that need this kind of stuff. If you want to submit a study to the FDA and say you have a medical regulator in your jurisdiction and here they are and here's this and that, Prospera is great because they build all of this infrastructure. The trade-off is that they have thousands of pages of regulations. So oh yes, the U.S. might have millions, but... I, I'm not going to read thousands of pages of regulations. Me, who, who has been in and around Prospera for almost two years now, every time I go there, I learn about some new regulation or rule I was unaware of that has some effect potentially on a business that would operate there. Whereas in Morazan, you can read all the regulations in one day. I mean, you, get, you might need to read Spanish because some of them are in Spanish only, but you can even throw them in Google Translator and figure it out to the simplicity of that. Okay. So that's the Morazan laws, which you're saying is a, a pretty, um, pretty limited, but yeah. that's stacked on top of the existing Honduran legal system. Yeah. So I guess we kind of talked a little bit about what are Zetis. So Zetis are zones for employment and economic development. That's what the acronym stands for. And there was an amendment to the Honduran constitution that created a new political subdivision of Honduras. And they're called Zetis. Uh, I believe it's article 329, if someone wants to look that up. So these political subdivisions were granted a lot of autonomy over civil and commercial matters. So things like tax, uh, policing of civil disputes, even a little bit of criminal, they can pass it off to the Honduran criminal, but almost all things civil and commercial are under the jurisdiction of the Zetis. 
which is almost everything that you deal with on a day-to-day basis. If you're not violating criminal laws, which hopefully most of your listeners are not, then you don't interact with the normal Honduran regime at all. You can live in the Zeti, pay taxes to the Zeti, interact with the Zeti police officers. If you have a dispute, go to the Zeti arbitration center and have very high degree of autonomy from the rest of Honduras. And this is the the controversy. So uh, as you and Nicholas talked about, uh, the current administration has some tension over the, the Zetis. They feel that Honduran sovereignty is under attack because you have these private cities, essentially, these political subdivisions, often uh, the investors are foreigners, so it's like foreign invested political subdivisions, but the, they don't talk about the fact that the top legal officer in the Zetis must be a born Honduran citizen, and that this legal officer is appointed by the government, and that the Honduran uh, Bill of Rights and Constitution applies to the Zeti. So it's largely a political debate between centralized people. Like you could say it's a federalist, anti-federalist debate. Should there be parts of Honduras that have additional autonomy? The Zeti people would say, yes, look at what they've done already. Prospera has attracted $100 million plus dollar investments, even with the hostile government climate. And Morazan has eliminated crime in one of the most dangerous neighborhoods in Honduras and provides uh, 24-7 water in an area that doesn't have water, clean streets where there's not clean streets. Like all these services that governments could provide but struggle to provide in many parts of the world, the Zetis provide excellent versions of them in those same areas. You know what this got me thinking? Uh, do you guys have a helicopter pad? We do not have a helicopter pad. And why why are you going there? Hopefully no helicopter rides. We're against that. (laughs) Um, Well, I was thinking if there's no, you know, if you're sort of stripping away the commercial and uh, yeah, like commercial laws of Honduras, right? And it's just the, uh, whatever it's called, the, the, the criminal law, you know, couldn't you just helicopter into the Zeti without going through Honduras first. And that way you could like, maybe like bring stuff into the country or uh, things like yeah. that. So there's things that the Zetis explicitly or have no authority over. Immigration is one of them. And same thing, the Honduran government has the right to inspect goods coming in. There are free ports. So there's no import tax to import goods into the Zetis, but the government has the right to inspect to make sure there's no contraband or smuggling. And same thing for people. The Zetis can kind of invite someone to the Zeti, and that can be a reason for their visa, like the purpose, and residency as well. It's kind of think of like a sponsorship of sorts, but the Honduran government has the final say. So these were put in to make it explicit that these are not separate countries. These are political subdivisions that are highly autonomous 
like a U.S. territory. And all kinds of governments have these territories, cantons, overseas departments, whatever you want to call it. They have a sovereignty over a lot of matters granted to them by the Constitution and federal governments. But for the things like military and the other sensitive areas, the federal government retains control over those. But yeah, it's it's a fun idea to think of. Uh, The most fun on that regard is drone taxis. Crossfire likes the idea of doing drone taxis between its various campuses with unmanned drones to allow the flying cars that we were promised so long ago, but never got. Have you um, connected with Thibaut Surlay, one of the experts on the free private city stuff? Uh, Not directly. You heard of him? I know of him and I'm in some groups with him, but I've not talked to him personally although i've talked like all of our friends and stuff overlap so it's probably good we sit down and chat at some point yeah he was a previous podcast guest as well um so we i think we've had I'm trying to think how many podcasts have we had talking about free private cities so tebow not, Sirle, enough. <laughs> not enough so tebow Sirlay kind of gave us like the history going back to ancient rome of, of free private cities and, and, and that kind of thing and free trade zones. Uh, we had Francisco Litvayon as well, who I'm sure you're familiar with. Yep. Uh, and then we had uh, Nicholas Anzinger and then I guess yourself. So this might be the fourth episode. So diehard listeners are probably at least somewhat familiar uh, with uh, some of these concepts. And I want to know what groups you're in. Maybe you'll have to tell me offline, but get me in some of these... Uh, Get, get, get me in some of these startup city groups because I love this stuff. Yeah, no problem. And let's give them something that they're less familiar with. Okay. So they got a little taste. Morazon's a little different. But why is it different and what's the most different thing about it? And the key is the entrepreneurial community model. So in most developments, you'll have a developer, they'll buy land they'll subdivide it and sell these lots off to different people. And this is the subdivision model. Morazon, they use the Entrecom model. It's uh, Spencer Heath and Spencer McCallan. They're kind of the, the minds behind this model. And there's a great book, Entrepreneurial Communities by Calvin Duke that discusses it. And uh, Morazon, like took many of those ideas and implemented them in practice. But essentially the idea is you have a single landlord and a bunch of tenants on the landlord. And this allows you to solve almost all the the challenges you have of uh, HOA or subdivision or any other typical uh, living environment. So they better deal with public goods, flexibility, and management of conflicts. So I can delve into these, but I just want to give you a chance to ask questions or clarify anything before I do so. I'll dive right in. Okay. So public goods are a big issue in a traditional subdivision model. Who provides the public services and for how long? So in many cases, you'll have a A developer, they'll build these nice parks and golf courses and whatever to sell off their condos. But once they sell them off, the maintenance starts to decline. 
because there's no need for the grass to be green. And the when the HOA starts having meetings, they're like, well, do we really want to spend money on this or that? And they start fighting. So that's one public good that's a challenge. Another somewhat related public good and segues into another topic is the management of conflicts. So imagine you have rules in your HOA or subdivision where you say you can't play music above a certain number of decibels. So you have this nice street, a great community, and all of a sudden you get this neighbor who just loves his like trap music. He's just blasting trap music, but he keeps it right below the, the max decibel count. But he's playing it like all throughout the night, just throwing parties. And what can you do? If it's a smart guy and he knows what to do with the rules, then like you don't have cause to kick him out. It's really hard to take away someone's property for themselves. Similar if there's someone who has people going in and out of their house constantly, seems like they're running a business or they're not cleaning their lawn or they're doing something that isn't a strong enough offense that to call the police or get them kicked out, they can really lower the quality of the neighborhood. Now in, enter the single landlord entrecom model. In Morrison, everyone's lease starts out as three months. If you are a good tenant, your lease is renewed. If you're blasting your music at one decibel below the limit every night, you're causing litter or doing other things. You're just a nuisance to the community. Didn't quite break the law, but you know, you're flying your Nazi flag and you know, taunting everyone, creating conflict. Maybe they're protected by free speech laws or whatever, but you're making everyone's quality of life much lower. In the Entrecom, you simply don't renew the lease. What's Entrecom? Entrepreneurial community. Okay. It's a, a single entrepreneur is running a whole community. The common analog is a shopping mall or a resort where you have one owner and a bunch of people renting for them. So this landlord-tenant dynamic is a very magical relationship in terms of incentives because you can't just buy the house and start acting like an asshole. And like, we all have a little bit of that in us, right? A, a little desire to, you know, test the rules, push the boundaries, be a troll, see what mm -hmm. we can get away with. Mm -hmm. But in this model, you have the opposite incentive. If you're a really good tenant, not only will you get your lease renewed, you might get instead of a three month contract, you could get a three year contract. You could get a 30 year contract. So the, if you can establish yourself as a really good, trusted, responsible person, you get more benefits. So good to the good, bad to the bad. Makes sense. And but, a, uh, so, but here, here's where this breaks down, though. You want to have low noise, but you're targeting this community for Latinos. Ah, we <laughs> believe. It's a joke. <laughs> no. You think it's a challenge, but we do have low noise. And it's, it's because of these incentives. What do you, how do you deal with a neighbor in your building that has loud noise? Well, if they bought the unit, you're in trouble because there's nothing you can do. You're not going to 
get the property registrar to transfer the unit, unwind the sale, or do anything just because their music is too loud. I get it. So you want people doing well. You got one owner, uh, and the owner, they're leasing the land, or they own the land, or and, and by the way, what is the uh, like the square square acres of Bootstrap City? There's uh, forty five hectares. Oh, that's not bad. That's pretty big. Yeah, can estimate about fifteen thousand people. And the last key thing is the flexibility. And this part was super interesting to me. So imagine right now you look on the website, you look at the drone overview, the photos, it's very low density because they're not gonna spend a ton of money to build foundations for skyscrapers and elevators and all these things when they have plenty of land. But what happens in five or 10 years when all of a sudden there's way more people than there is land. How do you rezone a neighborhood? We see all around the world cities spending billions of dollars to reroute highways and using eminent domain to try to confiscate land and having all these issues because they had no idea how the city would develop. In this Entrecom model, all you do is you don't renew the lease of those tenants and you just say, hey, we've build similar housing uh, half a kilometer this way. If you'd like, you can move over to there, but this neighborhood is gonna turn into the financial district with all skyscrapers now. So, so the idea you, is more, is it more about that you can get voted out or just the idea of having shorter term leases? The idea is that it has to be consent from both parties. Consent is the key to market and competition. And so you can't just buy land and stay someplace forever, no matter what you do. You have to provide value. If the landlord wants people to stay there, they have to be safer, cleaner, cheaper, better than the surrounding areas because there's plenty of housing nearby. Likewise, if the tenant wants to stay, they can't play their music too loud and disturb neighbors and start running illegal businesses and intimidating people or any of the other problems you may get in the low-income community. If you don't pay your rents and debts, you'll probably be kicked out because they don't want to encourage deadbeats. So that's the, the dynamic for the landlord-tenant uh, incentive that is much better than when you buy a property and all the incentives go over because it's game theory, multiple interactions. If every three months you have to renew the lease, you have to keep behaving. If there's only one interaction, then you just play nice once and then you can do whatever you want thereafter. Hey guys, quick interruption to tell you about BitRefill. BitRefill is the best way to convert your crypto into gift card balances. These are gift cards that you can spend at Hotels.com, Airbnb, Nike, and many more. You may remember Joel Valenzuela, previous podcast guest. He's been living on crypto exclusively since 2015, and he's a big consumer of BitRefill. And so I asked Joel, I said, what do you like most about BitRefill? He said that he likes the instant delivery, the precise amount so that you don't have to juggle a lot of gift cards, and he loves the global selection. Nobody else has this much selection of gift cards, over 10,000 gift card options across hundreds of countries. Go to 
bitrefill.com to sign up. And you can also use the code MyLatinLife for 10% back off your first purchase. Go to bitrefill.com for more information. Okay. Does that and, make sense? Uh, and, and remind me, so how did, so you got the 40, I think you said 45 hectares. Yes. Um, is it, so one person owns or has like a 99 year lease or something for all this land or how does, how does that work? Yeah, so a company owns the entire Morazon, all the land in Morazon. And then there's also a political subdivision that's like a government entity, I guess, non pro. I don't know the exact legal structure, but that exists and provides the, the government services inside the zone. They collect the taxes and all those things, flat okay. 5% tax. So the, non, so, so, uh, the, the, the private company owns the land, the 45 hectares, and there they basically lease it to the nonprofit that handles all the jurisdiction stuff? Uh, no. My understanding, which I, I believe is correct, but not 100% sure, the, there's a development company that owns all of the land. The land has been incorporated into a political subdivision that the government services are provided by this nonprofit government entity, the, the Zeti entity okay. itself. It's like a service provider, basically. Yeah. And okay. so there's affiliation with the two entities in this specific instance, but there doesn't have to be. Like the okay, same group is affiliated with all of them. So the who's whole the group? Uh, this is, I want to say, let me look it up. But Massimo like who's the, McCarthy, who, who owns the 45 acres? Like who is behind this company? Uh, the main guy is Massimo Mazzone. He's an Italian businessman who's, lived in Honduras for 20 plus years. He has Honduran wife, Honduran kids, and he built his business conglomerate in Honduras. So he knows it very well. He thinks fondly of the country and he, he wants it to succeed. He wants his Honduran children to be able to have a city where they can live prosperously, safely, and proudly. And so he even retired basically from his conglomerate group and wanted to dedicate the rest of his life to growing this city. The political challenges of the current administration being very hostile to it has uh, reduced the investment in the city as they wait and see if the government honors the constitution and laws and all of that. But if the government were to follow the laws and allow them to build then the group would invest $50 million a year into building out the city. And with the target of getting to 15,000 people in about five years or so. So this is a, a very serious, ambitious project and well-funded and expected to be quite profitable as well. It, not like maybe one day we'll make a profit and just keep getting investors. No, they plan to cash flow from day one okay yeah yeah i'd come across massimo's twitter before actually um and he, and he he also does a little bit of um public relations in terms of explaining the purpose of bootstrap city and stuff so you guys can look that up yeah, his group massimo is group dog global and as you said he's very active on twitter and there's also a bootstrap city telegram group 
and he's active in that as well, answering questions and engaging with the community. So this is just a city of very passionate people trying to show there's a, a better way to organize society that's much cheaper, safer, and allows you to have a more prosperous life. Okay. Yeah, seems like a seems like a well-intentioned guy. Um, worked at a Boston Consulting Group for ten years, so seems like a um, guy that kind of just understands business in general. Um, what was I going to say? And does he have um, partners as well, or is he like the sole owner of the Zeddy? The group owns it, so there's yeah. partners is he, is he the in the sole group. Owner of the group, or do other people no, share? No, other people, but he's the the main guy in the group. Right. So and who else? Like maybe there's maybe he's just the front man. I don't know. Like tell me, tell me more about like who who else is involved. Uh, he's the the main guy involved. I've not met anyone else from the group in my year and a half plus of being here. This is like his baby, his dream, his project. But there's. Um, some lawyers and stuff, I guess. I don't know. I wish there was some more interesting story, but it's uh, just a, a nerd who believes in free markets and did well in business wants to prove that the free market can bring prosperity to poor people. They're not just the island for rich people and foreigners and Bitcoin mm. and flying cars, gene therapy that normal everyday Hondurans can have a very good quality of life, see their children grow without immigrating illegally to the U.S. or elsewhere, like in Honduras. And so how so do we do far, that? How do we do that? What's like, what, what are the best, what kind of businesses are a good fit? What kind of, I guess, Honduran people, like what kind of skill sets are a good fit that, you know? Yeah, so one of the challenges, like you say, how do we do it? Well, their business model is pretty rock solid. They don't need the zero foreigners could move to Morazon and it would be very successful. Zero foreigners could invest in Morazon. It would be very successful. Its business model is have a highly autonomous zone with great rule of law, taxes and regulation in the industrial heartland of Honduras. Get the fact, and we're surrounded by these massive multi-thousand person factories. Get the factories to just move half a kilometer over into Morazon. Their workers can have a safe place to live, walking distance from work, good education, good rule of law, good living environment. So you get lower turnover, less issues of people disappearing or having issues with expensive housing, getting kicked out, transportation, all of that's eliminated. So the businesses, in addition to their tax and regulatory benefits, their workers also have great quality of life. So when they started Morazon, they already had about 800 jobs lined up, ready to go. So they figured maybe 20, 25% of them would live in the community so they've already got a community and these people have families, kids, whatever, of hundreds of people just from the start. And these businesses would be paying taxes and that would cover all the cost of administration. Right. 
Then the election in 2021 happened and Massimo was basically saying, look, we don't know what's going to happen. This government says that they are anti-Zeti and they want to get rid of them. So I can in good conscience recommend you to come in yet. Let's wait and see what will happen. So he's very like upstanding guy to his own detriment, I would argue. Like many of us bystanders feel like, man, if Massimo had just said, there's there's risk, be careful, but we're going to do everything we can to ensure the success of Morazon. We might have thousands of people in here right now, all with better quality of life and thriving. But it's easy to say when it's not your money and you're not asking someone to put their business at risk. So if the political certainty returns to where it was before, where the government says, of course, we're going to follow the law. The authority is given to us by this constitution, so we will adhere to it because without it, we are nothing. If that environment were to return or even something closer to that, then I think there will be uh, millions and millions of dollars invested by factories that are already in the area Mm. or just miles away. Most of these factories are textile factories and other light manufacturing. So a lot of the, like your underwear and your Nikes and those type of things, not the shoes, but the apparel are made in Honduras, also in free zones. So this isn't the first time that a free zone law was passed. The government got jealous that they weren't getting the tax revenue and power that they were used to. I was and coming then, to that question. <laughs> Yeah, what happened last time is they try to shut them down and the workers rioted. They're like, I'm not going back to subsistence farming. You can, like, as much as you NGOs and, you know, elitists say that this is inhumane working conditions, my farm was 10 times worse. I was getting bitten up, sunburned, and doing backbreaking labor all day. At least I get to be inside, get higher pay, and can improve my family's conditions. So then they became untouchable. So there was this like trying period where the uh, one administration passed these free zones to attract investment into Honduras. A bunch of companies came in to do light manufacturing, labor intensive light manufacturing. And then there was a change in administration. They started attacking these free zones. Oh, you're not paying enough taxes and you don't have the same rules as we do. We got to shut you down. And the workers said, no. We will not allow this. This is our our best shot at prosperity. So the hope is that the Zetis will have the same story. And that's so far what they're doing where all the time, like my AC, I just got it repaired recently. The guy, AC guy said that he hated the Zetis. And then he he came in here and he realized there was nothing like what he thought based on the, the, like, he thought it would be full of foreigners and they're just colonizing and, you know, doing all kinds of evil things. And he just, wow, like 95% plus people here are Hondurans and they're just like living nice lives. It's green, it's clean, it's great. Like how much is it to live here again? Wow, that's so cheap. Like I should move in here too. So as more and more people interact with it and see the benefits and see the services it can provide at such a low cost, then the tide will change. So it's basically this race between what will happen, will the government violate the laws, incur a massive penalty for breaking 
treaties and its own laws? Or will it say, okay, uh, we're going to allow these Zetis to create jobs and opportunities for the people of Honduras, who are some of the poorest in Latin America and desperately need opportunity? See, here's the thing is moving an existing factory from a place where they pay tax to a place where they pay basically no tax. Well, they, I can I can see how it's more complicated than that. I can see how the government wouldn't like that, though. Like if you were creating net new businesses, there's restrictions against that. So you can't like directly take tax revenue. There's like all kinds of complexities behind that. And the businesses they're targeting are already in free zones. So it's less about the tax and more about the regu- uh, labor and other regulations. So in, you know you're in Latin America, right? Labor laws here are something else. Someone can steal from you and you fire them and you have to pay them like thousands of dollars in severance, multi-month severances. So it, that would be an attraction for many of the existing factories is getting a better regulatory environment. So when they're like- No, I I get why the factories would want to do it. The factories would want to have less regulations and pay less tax, but Honduras wouldn't want to get rid of or let them go. The the tax part is somewhat restricted and just like cannibalizing tax revenue. So the ones that have already taxes, they're moving for non-tax reasons, or they'll start a new division or new- revenue line here instead of a neighboring country like El Salvador or Nicaragua. But yet they're certainly uh, in some small cases, that argument is valid. Prospera uh, brought in a hundred million of new money and had hundreds of millions more lined up before the political certainty canceled some of their plans or at least paused some of their plans. Same thing with Morazon. Uh, the, there was going to be uh, totally new companies coming in to provide those 800 jobs or so. Maybe there was 50 that were being relocated from in Honduras, but most of them were new jobs coming in. So uh, if the only thing was, oh, move down the street and you pay no taxes, then I think that's a valid criticism. But both the Zeti law has some restriction on cannibalizing existing tax revenue and all the businesses down the street, they don't really pay taxes already because they're in special free zones. Mm. But that's a good thing you brought up because many people think of it that way. And I would suggest people who have questions, tweet at Massimo, join the Bootstrap City Telegram group from bootstrap.city and ask these questions because most of them have been addressed. These are some of the most well thought out, developed laws that anyone has ever created. This is the frontier of the free cities movement and they don't get enough credit. They don't get enough uh, knowledge and awareness because if these Zetis are allowed to thrive, it's going to change the lives of millions directly in Honduras. And I think hundreds of millions throughout the world as we have the, the case study of how the free market and private governance can change the lives of millions. If you can yeah. build in the most dangerous neighborhood in a very dangerous country and have almost no crime, very good education, healthcare, all the normal metrics 
are off the charts and you're doing it with 5% tax, like, that changes everything. How can you say that you need to tax 50% of your income like many developed countries do? So I think the importance and impact of these projects is tremendous. And the more that you can be aware of how they're working, what are the criticisms, and are they valid or not, is a great way for people to make change, just like had been done with many revolutionary movements from crypto to others, where people just learning more and more about it. They're like, wow, this can really change things. The free private cities movement, and in particular, the Zetis have the, ch- the potential to change the world. And you should become a part of it if you can. It's fun to live cheap in the other countries. I've done that. But eventually, you're going to find a hole in your heart. And when you do, we're here waiting for you in Bootstrap City. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I assume they have the you know cannibalizing tax revenue thing figured out. I just wanted to hear what your your thoughts were on that. What I would love, Alex, is um, I would love for you to put Bootstrap City in the context of the leading uh, uh, Zeti projects. So not just in Honduras, but maybe in Latin America and really in the world, because there's probably like a top five coolest projects, right? Top 10. How would you kind of like describe the landscape and how Bootstrap City fits into that. Yeah, sure. So I I would argue that the Zetis are the only real private cities. Uh, the other ones I think are very interesting are the Catawba project in the US with Native American tribes. So I would rank it as depending on what your interest in industry is. Morazon, Prospera, and then Catawba of the current projects that are pretty far along. There's a lot of interesting ones going on in Africa. There's talk of doing something in Montenegro. And there's some in the Caribbean and others in the Americas. But I've just not seen anything that's nearly as serious as what's gone here. Like This is a decade-plus endeavor. So any new project that starts, you need a ton of legal work. It will definitely be faster the second time around, but you need to amend the constitutions, write the laws, and then once the laws are written, implement the regulations. Governments can't move on a dime, and having some new tax treatment or legal subcategory, it takes a long time. To get exemptions from paying VAT for companies in the Zeti, like this is an educational process where you have to educate each individual business one by one. Show them government papers, have them call government offices, talk to their accountants. So I, I want to really emphasize that getting the project from idea to law to actual implementation is a really, really long, difficult process. And nowhere is nearly as far as here. That's a true private city that has the residential component. There's a lot of, as you you talk to Thibault, right? So you know the tons of special economic zones where you can do stuff with businesses. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. Once you get into the people living there, you get the criminal and human rights and all of these legal issues that are extremely, extremely complex 
and have been navigated by so few places that everyone's scratching their heads. Special economic zones, tons of consulting firms, including TBOs you can talk to, they'll help hook you up with what to do. So I don't think there's much competition outside the Zetis, but that's changing. And if we want it to change quickly, if we want there to be many more alternatives, which I certainly do, then we have to support the current uh, existing projects and increase the awareness of them so that people can know, hey, you want to start a city or do something crazy or some crypto millionaire or whatever, a successful business person, you want to change the world, don't just give $100 million to some university to get a building named after you. Start a city. Invest in an existing city. Do something that can impact millions directly. Mm. So if anyone's listening to this and they want to uh, start taking action, what would you suggest? What's the best way to get involved? Join the Bootstrap City Telegram group and the Prospera Discord server and talk with the people in the community. This is a very pro-growth, pro-helping people community. There's enough for everyone. We want everyone to succeed. We want this movement to succeed. We're not fighting for scraps. It's everyone can win. And they're happy to talk with you, answer your questions, even stupid questions, and help you to learn more. So it's just talk to the community. Twitter and the Discord and Telegram groups are phenomenal. You can get access to extremely successful, talented people on those groups and they donate a tremendous amount of their time to answering questions so take advantage of that get in early establish yourself and be a part of the future okay cool cool and uh, i do want to ask kind of one uh topic which is about the future of free private cities in general and the future of zetis in general and obviously this is a very very new uh, uh, concept, uh, but yeah, a lot of a lot of smart people are working on it, and it's really it's really very disruptive. So let's just imagine we just seconds ago hit the joint, we ate some magic mushrooms, and we're thinking about the future of free private cities. <laughs> what does it look like? Paint me a picture. Uh, the future is the city for you. Thousands of cities of all different persuasions. You want to live in Sharia? There's a city for you. You want a vegan city, carnivore city, uh, no cars, only cars, whatever your, your preferences are, there should be a market serving you and you can move through these markets throughout time. So that's the, the vision we're working towards. We want everyone to have choice. There's no right solution for everyone. You should be able to get yours. Competition will allow that. Let's bring competition to governance. Hmm. Yeah, I think competition to governments, governance makes sense. What's the alternative or what's the like counter argument in terms of maybe like a weird dystopian future where there's like all these private cities and they're setting their own rules and I don't know, there's maybe like a lack of cohesiveness or just um, maybe maybe if there's too many private cities, things actually become more difficult to navigate. Um, 
I think that's a champagne problem, to be honest, right? I think that the, do we complain that there's too many different food items in the supermarket, too many drinks at the bar? Like as long as there's the ability to switch between cities easily, I think that more choice is better and the bad choices will go away, outcompeted by the good. You know, it'd be cool is if we did like a, a round table and we got a bunch of people from different free private city projects or something. So TBD on that. Any last words for the audience? Call to action. Uh, get in touch with the community. They're very welcoming and we welcome you to join us. This has been another episode of the My Latin Life podcast. Again, my guest today was Alex Ugorji from Honduras. Ciudad Morazan, Bootstrap City. Alex, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me.